All right, well, let's get into our uh, study for uh, today. We're continuing on this uh, sort of exploration, I guess, if you will, in terms of talking about the blessed life. And uh, so just to sort of review from last week, and I kind of put up a little bit of a different uh, graphic up on the board just to sort of use that in, in our lesson for today. But an abundant life begins with faith in Jesus, the good shepherd who laid down his life for us. So blessedness, and, and I use the word blessedness and abundant life kind of synonymous with each other. But blessedness is a state of being that's created by Jesus, founded on God's word and his promises steeped in grace. So we, we looked last week at the uh, Beatitudes in Matthew 5, where he says, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, etc." And so a lot of the translations, when, they, when they're translating or trying to interpret that word blessed, uh, it, they use the word happy. And happy is okay, but it doesn't really capture the essence of what blessedness is. Blessedness is a state of being. It's a condition in which God places us by virtue of faith in Jesus. And so with that state of blessedness comes the blessings that come with it. But as we're also going to be talking about, uh, if not today, uh, later on, we'll be talking about wh what are the opportunities that that opens up for us as well. So that there is a, there is a kind of a, uh, a kind of a yin and yang of that as well. It's not just what you are on the receiving end of in terms of blessedness, but it's also then what opportunities are there to serve and opportunities there are to give, but it's it's a state of mind. It's not just simply something that uh, we look at, uh, you know, the Bible or we look at the gospel and say, oh, we're so happy that Jesus did this for us. It is a true change of heart and a change of mind that takes place, uh, and that's kind of encompassed in the word blessed. The word is the filter through which all messaging flows to discern truth. We talked quite a bit about that last week. And then the condition of blessedness is not changed by worldly troubles or by inner struggles. So one of the things that we talked quite a bit last week about is the fact that we live in a, in a we, you know, you'll hear this, you'll hear people say this all the time, is that we live in a broken world. Do you agree with that? Yes. Is that the extent of it? Sure. No. See, it, it falls short. We, I mean, we all say that, and I think it's true, but we all say that, it, but it kind of falls short in terms of trying to capture or, or, or uh, get a hold of what the world is that we, that we live, that we're a part of. So where does it fall short, for those of you that sort of looked at it from that point of view? We live in a broken world. Pardon? Pardon? Yeah, let's add the word sinful, right? And we certainly can put the word, the word broken in there. But when people, people use that word a lot of times, that word broken, to sort of describe the idea that we, are, and they'll say we're broken people, but it kind of makes it sound like I'm a victim of that, that somebody else broke it, somebody else created the, the situation in which I now am a victim, or I now am one who lives. And by putting the word sinful in there, what that reminds us is, is that, yeah, not only are we broken, but we're the ones who broke it, right? And by virtue of the fact that we're the ones who broke it, we keep breaking it. So it's not like 
there's, it's going to be able in this life, and we're, we look forward to the next life, of course, but in this life, it's like a continual per, uh, repair job, you know. Do you have stuff around the house that just t- stays broken? Do you, anybody have that? You know, you think you, you know, I don't use the F word at my house anymore. I already explained that to you. Because every time I'm tempted to do it, my wife says, no, no, we're not using that word here. Now, you remember what the word is? Fix. Fix. There we go. Good. <laughs> Just put everybody at ease, all right? Everybody at ease. All right. Yeah, Sharon. Um, using the term broken probably because it suggests that it was whole and perfect and And the only time that was. Well, it kind of was. Yeah, Adam and Eve stay. Yeah, like for 24 hours, right? But that's about what that's about what it was, right? 24 hours, sure. All right. So, so what we're going to talk about today is the idea that we're we all live in this sinful, broken world, and that there are struggles and there are all kinds of things that that uh, would certainly test us and tempt us. But there is a difference in terms of those of us that live in that state of blessedness, that, that it, again, it's a mindset, it's a perspective. It's where you're able to look at all those things around us and yet be, still feel or know that this is your life here, right? And so the difference is between those who live in that state of blessedness and then those who have rejected the state of blessedness. And notice I'm using that word in a very intentional way, that... When, when God sent Jesus into the world, who did Jesus die for? Everybody. Now, who does that include? Everybody, right? Even people that have said, I want nothing to do with it. Even people who say, I'm my own, I'm my own leader. I'm my own God. I'm my own you know, center of the universe. Even for those people, Jesus still died. But the problem is, is that, that we're not robots. We're not... We're not programmed to love God or accept God or to, to accept Jesus' grace. That, that's a change that takes place in us by virtue of faith in him. But there are people who say, no, that's not for me. Um, what's for me is me. And so selfish pride becomes the, uh, uh, the norm, if you will, by which they live as opposed to abundant grace. Okay, so you tracking with me in terms of where we're at? All right, very good. So our opening discussion, chief among the enemies of the state of the abundant life or the blessed life is selfish pride, which is the root of the problem. Selfish pride drives the pursuit of immediate gratification, which impulsively seeks to serve the self at the expense of others. It seeks immediate relief from inconvenience or struggle, and it sees no benefit in patience, forbearance, or simply waiting for God to act according to his will or timing. Selfish pride reduces others to transactional parties, which exist to serve the pleasure or purposes that it decides. This this next quote is a testament to uh, Bob Orr, who's uh, always reminding me that the uh, ancient church fathers actually had something good to say. The ancient church father, St. Augustine, wrote in the City of God, Pride is the beginning of sin, and what is pride but the craving of undue exaltation? And this is undue exaltation, when the soul abandons him to whom it ought to cleave as its end and becomes a kind of end to itself. You can see where this life over here ultimately eats its own, right? 
Because if I am the center of my own life, if I'm the center of all that occurs, if, if serving my needs at the expense of others is what life is all about, at the end of the day, nobody's going to want to be with me. I will be all alone, right? And the sad aspect of that is, is that there is an eternal aspect of that as well. It wasn't part of the gospel reading this morning, uh, but if we had read the rest of the gospel reading this morning from Matthew 25, it would have been that awful, uh, that awful point at which uh, Jesus says, depart from me, you who are cursed, for you have basically rejected the, the blessed life. Okay? I was listening to a uh, news article this morning. Uh, I think it was NPR. Um, you know, I, I flip back and forth between NPR and uh, uh, sports talk radio. So that's, uh, that's kind of my range of, uh, of things I listen to. And they were talking about the death, the recent death of a theologian whose name was Carl Pearson. Carl Pearson. And he apparently was a well-known writer, and he was somebody that uh, people really listened to and really liked. And they were talking, I guess, maybe a little bit famous. So anyway, they were talking about the fact that uh, he had gotten to the point in his life theologically where he said that he no longer believed that there's such a thing as hell. That everybody, he became universalist, that, that everybody, regardless of what they believe and who they believe in and the name by which they refer to God and all those kinds of things, that ultimately uh, everybody ends up in heaven or at least doesn't go to hell. Um, the reason being that the love of God was greater than the judgment of God. Kind of interesting, isn't it? So again, it, some people will look for a way to find comfort in something that isn't biblical or it changes the biblical narrative in order to uh, basically, if, if, if that was true, then a person could indeed actually live their life any way they wanted to, and it would have uh, no eternal ramifications. Okay, there's Pastor Wilmer back there. Now you cannot just sneak in, and you have to come. You have to come up here now. Come on, come on, come on. I, we have to give you a proper greeting. He's like the Bob Euchre of baseball, sitting in the back row. <laughs> well, yeah, you know. I, I just need to learn the Bible today. So. I, I wasn't going to mention the Rangers at all today. I just, you know, that 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 ship that ship has sailed. <laughs> that ship has sailed. Well, one of them has an asterisk. Come on, you have to admit that. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. It stays in Texas. Well, that's nice of you to say that. Yes. <laughs> that's really the nicest thing he said to me all during the World Series. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Oh, sorry. We love you. We're glad you're back. Are you not working today? Yeah, I mean, what's uh, uh, mom's been sick? Oh yeah. I shut her down. Okay. I came down. To see Good. What? Popped out in But I get up all the time at the same hour, so we got to come to early service. I'm glad you came to my side for communion. I, did you notice I gave you a little bit extra? <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we're glad you're here. We are so glad, and we uh, miss you, but we know that you're being a blessing uh, where you are, and uh, God, God's doing good things with you and through you. Okay, uh, contemporary terms for selfish pride include narcissism and self-preservation. When selfish pride rules our lives, the result is the desire for control, 
which leads to an anxious, fearful life. Okay, so let's add that up here as well. Oh, hello. So let's put... Uh, here, will you throw that away later? Is that we put down here that lo what life is all about is to be in control. Okay. What is life all about here? What's life all about here? Serve. Yeah, serve. Have you noticed that when you give your life to serve others, there's an awful lot that's not in your control? Have you ever noticed that? Yeah. Like, for example, um, when was the last time that you got tired of serving somebody and they're not saying thank you? Has that ever happened? Yeah. And so then what do you do with it? What do you do with it? You keep on serving because you remind yourself what? That that you're in, you're in that state of blessedness and when that's your life, when you live in it, it isn't about what you're getting in return. It's nice if you get it in return, right? But that's not the, that's not the end thing. Uh, w when we're over here, it's almost as if, if I'm going to serve you, I want to make sure that you know that I'm serving you. And then if in case you were, you know, uh, confused about that, I'll make sure that I uh, re reiterate that I'm serving you. And then, and, and then I can be in control of the situation. Okay? It's kind of like what you said before with Triton. It's not about you. It's about Triton. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. The, be the beautiful thing about Triton is, is that um, it, all you have to have is just little donut crumbs, and then that's just the perfect way to, to say thank you to. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm thinking as you're saying this, that under control would be the word transaction. Yeah, it's transactional turns it into uh, you do for me, I do for you. So there's an exchange of services. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I do for you and then we keep track of that. We keep score. Um, you know, I have all the dates lined out of all the times that I served you and was nice to you. And then I'm expecting something in return that would even the score or at least keep it in the same ballpark. That's transactional. Okay. The difference over, it's very conditional, by the way. This over here is very unconditional. It's you're serving, and you're not even keeping track of it. And you don't even realize how much good you're doing until later somebody comes along and says, you know, you, I don't know if anybody's ever told you this or not, but the difference that you're making is, like, huge. And you're going, what? Now, that if you, if you think back to the gospel reading this morning, that's what's going to happen on Judgment Day, Right? is that we're standing up before the Lord and the sheep are over here and the goats are over here. And, and he's going to say, come, O blessed into my kingdom, because here's all the good things you did in your life. And the believers are going to go, what? We don't remember you being there. We don't, you know, we, we would have made a big deal if you'd been there. I mean, we don't, we don't remember that because we weren't keeping track of it. We weren't keeping score, right? And he's saying, well, yeah, this time and this time and this time. And that when, every time you did it, for one of the least of these, whoever that would be, then that was the same as doing it for me. So it, there is a, I, I, I think there is a little message in there that says that we want to be reminded of that, right? That Jesus is present in whatever we do and how much we do, but it isn't about us keeping track of it or us keeping score. If anything, maybe he is. 
which is kind of a cool thought in two. Okay, makes sense? All right, well, let's get into our study. Matthew 25, 14 to 30. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. This is a very familiar parable. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. So a couple of little kind of cool little uh, think, uh, thoughts here, especially as we look at the contrast between the first two and then the third. Okay, that's kind of what where Jesus is going with the parable. All right, so it says uh, uh, a, ma- a guy goes off who owns great riches and wealth and, and possessions, and he called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Some things really pop out just out of that verse. First of all, he refers to them as his servants. When you're living in that state of blessedness, you have no issue whatsoever about the idea that you serve. In fact, if somebody asks you, uh, like, well, who are you and, like, what do you do? You, the first thought you're going to have, or maybe we ought to uh, em- emphasize, is that I'm a servant. And there's no um, confusion or misunderstanding, it for sure, in the parable, but for sure those of us that, that think like this, is that um, we're not the master. There's no confusion about that. Over here, there's great confusion over it, isn't it not? Because over here is, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. I am the one who makes my world and my life what it is. And if you can help me with that, great. But if you can't, I'm leaving you behind because I'm, I'm going about achieving the goal that I have or the objective that I have for myself. So he says he calls his servants and he entrusts. Now, what does that word entrust mean? And what is the difference between someone entrusting you with someone and someone giving something to you? What's the difference? Hmm? A lot of murmuring going on here. That's good. (laughs) People thinking out loud, just maybe a little louder. What's entrust mean? What does that mean? Hmm? Give it back. Yeah, that's a tough one. It's like a fiduciary. Is that what you're trying to say? You know, all these commercials now on TV, I finally learned what fiduciary means. Yeah. But it's somebody who's acting in behalf of and in the best interests of the uh, client, in this case, would be the, the master. All right. So let's just kind of play around with this a little bit. So it's the idea that, again, uh, there was no distinction between... The idea of the servant and the master, all right? And that the word entrust is part of that life, right? It's a part of that life. It, it, it sort of tells us a little bit of not only the gifts that we receive when we are operating out of that state of blessedness, but also the opportunities that we have. That when the resource comes, in this case it would be God, when the resource comes from the master, it's not seen as something we own. It's seen as something that we 
use, but we use according to the to the way it's laid out for us using that mindset that we have. Okay? Yeah, Amanda. Did you ever hand up? I did, but That was spooky. Yeah. All right, good. Although I'm dying to know what it was that you wanted to know because now I'm thinking, what was it? I was going to say, trust means there's an air of growth to it. There's an air of you're doing something to shepherd it, make it better. Whereas you said versus giving. Giving is just one way. Yeah, that's a good point. You don't spread out. You don't even share what you've been given. Mm -hmm. And trust kind of, there's this air about it that you're going to do something. Mm -hmm. You're going to make it better. And yeah, maybe you can give it back, but at the end, you're growing it. Yeah. So it, the, the word that's built into the word in trust, obviously, is trust, right? So we've talked about this from time to time. What is the difference between trust and, let's say, something like love or forgiveness? What's the difference in terms of its origins? How, how, do, you, how do you gain more trust with another person by being trustworthy and so what that means is is that if you say you're going to do something then you do it right you keep your word you keep your promises you you it might be in all the little things but after a while the little things earn you more trust to where then you're given big things and we kind of see that here in the in the parable right okay so the idea of trust, whereas love and forgiveness, as an example, right? Why do we love others and forgive others? Because we are already. See, because that's a response to what God has already done for us, right? So love and forgiveness are unconditional in terms of their nature, whereas trust is totally conditional. If, if I have low trust with you, it's because I've earned it, Right? If your teenager borrows a car and promises that they'll put gas in it after, that's, after they're done driving it, and then they park it, and the next time you get in there thinking, all right, yeah, full tank, I'm going to go where I want, and you look and the needle says E. <laughs> okay, what has just happened to the trust level that you would have with that person? And, and the good news is it's earned, right? So why is that good news, that trust level is earned? Because if you earn a low trust, you can also earn what? High trust. It's just that it takes longer to get it back to where it was, right, than as opposed to where you started out. Right? So, that's the, so the idea of trust. So when, when the parable says he called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them, all right, again, whose wealth is it? God's wealth, not mine. Okay, God's wealth. He's the one that he he's the one to give it. He entrusted it to me, and so my job is to honor the trust. <laughs> okay, to honor the trust, and when I honor the trust, then I am showing respect for, and also I'm also acknowledging that I'm not the master. I'm not the owner. God is the, the one, one who is. is. Okay, with me? All right, here we go. So then, uh, so what does he do? He gives five to one guy, two to one guy, and one to the third guy. 
What is the criteria that he uses to determine the amounts that he gives to each individual? What's the criteria? Yeah, it isn't because he loved one more than the other, right? It isn't because he said, well, uh, the guys that were five and two, they were my buddies, and then I didn't, the, the one that had one didn't. It wasn't anything to do with worth or value. It was each according to his ability. So what goes into ability? What, what would you say would be some, some aspects of ability that would be a part of this decision of who gets five and who gets two, which ultimately was proven in terms of what they, what they did with it, right? Training and experience would be a big thing. All right, what else? Wisdom. Pardon? Wisdom. Did somebody say wisdom? Yeah. Um, education could be. Uh, they had proven themselves maybe over time, those kinds of things. Okay. So that can go both ways as far as ability can fit the group that's in the state of reject, rejecting blessedness as well as the state of blessedness. You know, everybody's got different abilities. Everybody's got different talents. How many of you are good with math? Wow, that's impressive. Yeah. How many of you are not good with math? <laughs> See, there you go. So we have, we have a good mix here of uh, people that are happy that uh, you can do online banking now and it can add it for you. Oh, you're not happy about that. Okay, very good. All right, well, let's, let's keep on going and see what happens. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. All right, so again, one of the things that you sort of can sense here is that the attitude that the first two guys had in terms of the opportunity that, he, that the master had given them to serve and also the honor that he had bestowed on them that, that he trusted them enough to entrust his goods with them, that they are they are eagerly waiting with joy for when the master would return. It doesn't say that here, but you sort of get that sense that, that they're not fearful of him. They're not in, they, they may have had some things to fear. We'll see that with the third guy. There were some things to be fearful of, but notice where their focus went. Their focus was on the fact that they're going to honor the trust of what he entrusted to them and they were going to fulfill their, uh, their uh, God-given uh, responsibility to be servants. Um, one of the things that you discover about them was they were not afraid to lose what had been entrusted to them, right? And yet we're going to see that with the third guy, that that was a distinct difference between the three, all right? The other thing is this concept of 
You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. What do you make of that? Is that true in this life? Is that accurate? How many of you have ever volunteered for something in church work? <laughs> Come on, raise your hands. Yes. And somebody said, oh, it won't take very much time. It, you know, it's only a few things. And, and don't worry, we won't ever ask you again, right? And then what happened? We lie through our teeth. Yes, because what we discovered was, was that it's not rare per se, but it is a treat when you have people who will be trustworthy with a few things then you're thinking maybe they might be trustworthy with many things, okay? So it's your own fault. There you go, all right? All right, so, so again, it's this idea that, that, um, that of trust, right? Is that as you are trustworthy in a few, then you work your way up to being trustworthy with, with much. And I, the note there uh, demonstrates the difference between conditional and unconditional, which I had just mentioned. Okay, now we go to the third guy, verse 24. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I know that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, it would have received, been received back with interest. Okay, what do you make of the third guy in terms of the difference between the state of blessedness and the state of rejecting blessedness? Notice where the focus of the third man was compared to the first two. Pardon? Yes, he, he was very focused on the idea that if somehow I end up blowing this, if I lose this, then I possibly could lose my standing with, or maybe even in some sense, my life. Okay, that, so from his point of view, there was a lot to lose, all right? But notice, what is the master's response to what the third guy says about him? What's his response? He says, you're right. Notice that? He doesn't say, I can't believe you would say that about me. That's not true. No, he says, uh, this, is, this is true about me, all right? But the perspective that the third guy takes is that, that that's what it was all about. It wasn't about serving. It wasn't about being entrusted, though you could argue that maybe it was. But for sure, it wasn't about honoring the trust. What we discover here is, is that what it was all about with the master was, are you going to honor the trust that I have placed in you? And what the third guy decided to do was trade the trust for the fear of losing what he had. Chris. Oh, you are such a cynic, yes. You hear what he said? He said, 
The master knew that he was going to stink it up anyway. So there we, am I saying exactly what you just said? Yeah. Okay. I'm not adding to it. And, and so that's why he only gave him that. Now, did he know that for sure? Because if he had, why would give him anything at all? Well, yeah, I think he did know it for sure because, like you said, the track record matters. The confidence that the others had was not just education and training, but it's track record. So you feel like that he thought, well, I don't want the guy to feel bad, so I'm going to give him one. Because I gave the others five and three. Sure, feel bad well, yeah, his self-esteem plummeted after that, yeah. But, but again, it's sort of the idea that, that if you look at it from the perspective of God, right, God is the master of second chances. So it's like, well, okay, maybe this time, right? Maybe this time. And so what I'm going to do, though, is I'm not going to give him the whole thing. What I'll do is I'll give him a, a, a lower amount with the idea that he could grow into uh, getting to where the guy that has five or even more. Well, that's why we all take solace, because we all are the servant that only deserves one talent here. Would you like to come up here and teach this? With <laughs> no, you make some excellent points. You make some great points, right? But again, what, what, is it, what is it that would enable someone to exercise the courage that it would take? Let's say that you're that guy, you're, you're the one right? And your abilities are, you know, marginal at best. Your experience isn't that great. You have a history of things blowing up in your face, all those kinds of things, right? What would it take to be, to become or aspire to become the guy that got two bags? If we think redemptively here, what would it take? A mentor, a sponsor. Hmm? A mentor or a sponsor. Say more. Someone who is going to be my doctor. Yes. Somebody who says, I'll walk with you. I, I, see, I see value in you. Um, I, I see that you have great potential. You're not there yet, but, but I'm willing patiently to walk alongside you and be that person that you can process things with and maybe run things by and see if this is a good choice or not. You could almost argue that in some sense that's what Jesus did. And in a big way, that's what Jesus calls us to be with each other, right? Now, we're going a little bit beyond the parable here, but I think the point is, is well taken. Yeah. I don't think it makes any difference how many uh, bags of gold that were given to each person. Oh. I, I think we're reading a value into that, and we shouldn't be. Because there are people that are blessed with peculiar talents. Yes. That do great work for the kingdom. Yes. They 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 step up. Uh huh. And and we say they step up, but yeah. in other words, the God blesses us and allows us to do things that we never imagined we could do. So, I mean, I think sometimes we get sucked into the, you know, we're comparing. We've got five and two and one, and I think that the master gave him the one bag, and what. I mean, obviously God knows the outcome, but I think that he did not predispose that outcome. No, he did not. If, if, if the guy had taken his one bag mm -hmm. and made it two bags, right. God would have been happy. And oh, sure. He'd walk into the kingdom. Well, I mean, the, the evidence of that is the way the master responded to the five and the two. Mm -hmm. He said to, to each of them, he said, come, you know, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and enjoy the master's happiness so 
So he did not distinguish between the five and the two other than that they're, they're, the differences were in their ability. Okay, yeah. The other thing is, is that there, there probably is a uh, principle at work that says that the more that you have been given, the more is expected from you. Okay, and that's a pretty biblical, it sounds kind of worldly, but, but there is some, some sense of that, as Jesus will point out, to him who has been given much, much, much is expected. And so there is a greater pressure. And that one of the things that I wonder about is that if the guy that only received one could not handle the pressure of what it would have been like to receive the five. It does take some inner core, right, in order to be able to handle that and be able to do that and do that well. Okay. Did somebody else have their hand up? Yeah, Armin. Yeah, it's all the kingdom of God's stuff. So this is the return of the master is like Christ's coming. He's coming again, that's correct. So there, there's a period of time that transpires. Mm-hmm. What, I'm, what I'm wondering, do all of us go and bury talent over time? And then the ones that, that by the Holy Spirit, we realize, oh, I buried a talent. I need to dig it back up and make Yeah, I, I don't know if we necessarily <coughs> come to that awareness by ourselves. I think that what happens is that other people maybe say, hey, how ca- I thought you were in, no, I wasn't, you know, that kind of thing. Where, and, and so then you kind of dig it up in that sense. But think of, think of the situations in your life when, when you were asked to do something or, or the opportunity to do it was put in front of you and you declined it because you were afraid you would mess it up, right? Or you thought, well, if I if I don't do this exactly right, then, you know, it's going to just crush me. Or, oh, everybody will be so disappointed in me. And there's a lot of different reasons that people have for, and to use the, to use your analogy, of burying the talent. And And so what I would sort of argue is that when we do that, we're really selling God short. Yet we may think that we're selling ourselves short in the sense of saying, well, I can't do that, and boy, you know. And then we have all these memories of times when we blew it, and then that makes it confirm that we shouldn't continue to do it, right? But that's when we're selling God short, because that's when we're saying that God must not have known what he was doing when he entrusted that ability or that gift or that talent to me he he didn't know what he was doing he must have made a mistake you know i can think of six other people that clearly he gave that to but not me right and so when we do that then we're dishonoring the trust see i think at the end of the day that was the thing that was the most significant piece to this for the master that when I entrust this to you, are you going to honor the trust or are you going to dishonor the trust? And if you dishonor the trust, then he's got some things to say about you 
and us in, in those terms. Something else, Heather? Yeah, thank you. Well, I think if you go all the way back to Moses, which to me is a perfect example of God trust in him to do to lead the people out of Egypt and yet you know what Moses did. Yeah. He made all these excuses sure. that God had given up on him. Right. Because of his excuses. Right. But I think God continues to push us to, to use our abilities mm -hmm. and one of the points you just made or someone made is that I think using people mm -hmm. is the way God uses Reminding, like you said, somebody, well, I thought you could do this. Yeah. And all right. And so using people to push them. Well, I, think about people in your life that have been your best encouragers and your best cheerleaders. And in the moment when, even when, maybe it was the moment when the thing blew up and you said, oh, I am never doing that. I am never serving ever again. Right. And then somebody comes along and says, I'm going to, help you pick up the pieces, and I'm going to help you learn from this, and I kind of coach you on uh, how you can do it differently next time, and then together we'll, we'll pursue something greater. I mean, isn't that kind of what, what we all yearn to have somebody in our life do? Yeah, Carl? Yeah, I think playing on those last two comments, there's a, another lesson here, and that is that a lot of times God puts things that... To us, it seem overwhelming. Yeah, and I think he does that to say, "Hey, I know you can't do it alone." Yes. Go over and talk to the guy with the five, the five bags, and see if he can help you figure out this out. Yeah. And learn from it. And we need to do that again and again. Yeah. And reach out and call, ask for help. Well, even better is if the five bag guy will go and seek out the one bag guy and go, hey, you know, wanna let's walk together. It kind you you'd think so, but but I, I again I would look at it and say, why not? Why not have that guy go and assist? Or maybe the master would say, go and talk to that guy. But it still would be just this idea that that part of our service. Is and part of the opportunity to be entrusted with is that we're entrusted with each other, is that we actually have the opportunity to be the one that goes to the person who's struggling and go to the person who is has experienced this terrible moment now where he's been called to account by the master. Okay, so we'll go to the end. Unless you did, you want to make a comment? is a question of what we're seeing. You know, the, the five-talent guy didn't see the one-talent guy. Yeah. The one-talent guy only saw the master in a negative. In very negative, yeah, very, very. Yeah, he didn't see anything redeeming about him. He just saw something to be, to be fearful of. Notice in verse 26, his master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. Pretty strong indictment. Now, where you see that word wicked, it's associated with unbelieving unbelieving so what is it that the that the third guy didn't believe yeah see he's he's over here he's saying that my security in life and and what's important to me is going to be all about me it's going to be me doing it and maybe he at some point realized i can't do this i'm not any good at any of those things and i have as chris pointed out this track record 
of things not happening in a successful way. I am a failure in the eyes of, of the world, and I can't even believe that God would or the Master would even uh, trust me enough even with one bag of gold. Okay? So that wicked aspect of that. And then what, what do you make of the word lazy there? That seems to, that, is that accurate? Yeah, he took the easy way out, didn't he? That's right. I can't do it. I'm just going to bury it. And then what I'm going to do is give it back to the master in the pristine form that he gave it to me. I brushed all the dirt off of it, but then I gave it, I gave it to him. All right, so let's look at verse 28. Now we get the full indictment. Yeah. Steve. This brings to mind something that we did in church. This was many years ago. Uh, there was a pastor that approached, approached Marty and I about joining the church that he was starting in Rowlett. Yeah. And after about a year being there, you know, the... We didn't have a lot of income and this type of thing, but what we ended up doing one Sunday, we gave $20 to every member. And we asked them in three months to come back and give the proceeds like this mm -hmm. on what they had done and how they had grown that $20. Mm -hmm. And we got like $1,200 back mm -hmm. like a month later, whereas some people didn't do anything with it. Mm -hmm. They just brought back the $20. <laughs> yeah. But it was interesting on what, you know, what we had achieved mm -hmm. in that. What else did you gain by that experience? Okay, so maybe an appreciation for those that had some ability or some courage to do something. We did something like that at a church that I served as well. And what we didn't have enough of a budget to do 20, so we did five. But what happened was people joined each other, and then they would start little businesses and that kind of thing. So when you think about it, the, the benefit of it or the lesson of it um, goes beyond the amount of money that comes back. Sometimes it would come back, sometimes it wouldn't. But what else is gained by something like, like that? Leaders. The joy of doing it. Yeah, the joy of doing Yeah, leaders, that's right. Yeah, you figure that out pretty quick, don't you? All right, so let's see how Jesus ends this parable. He says, the master says, So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, so there you go. There's the lesson right there. Yeah, better add at least two cents to whatever it is that you, uh, you uh, were received. Okay. So what, let's make sense of this phrase in, uh, in uh, 29. Whoever has, okay, whoever has what? No. Whoever has this, faith in Jesus. See, that's a, it's a, it, it sounds like it ought to be whoever has the most, right, will be given more. But it's whoever has, 
whoever is in that state of blessedness will be given more. Why? Because this is what they did with it, right? They didn't bury it. Instead, what they did was they trusted in 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 uh, God's wisdom in granting it to him in the first place. But they also said, my role in life is to serve. I've been entrusted with much, and I'm going to honor the trust that the master has placed in me. So it's about honor in that sense, okay? So whoever has will be given more. More of what? Faith. More faith. See, what does it, what does it take to live this? You have it, but what does it take to live it? Faith. And so we constantly pray to Jesus that you'll give us more faith. That was one of the items in the, in the prayer for today in, in church. Give us more faith. I need more faith because there are moments when if I just look at myself and my own ability, I'm going, oh, no way am I doing that, right? But give me the faith to trust in you and in your goodness for me that I can, that I can do that. So whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance of what? faith. Now, could there be an abundance also of the tangible rewards, if you will, of, 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 of living that life of blessedness? Absolutely, could be, but it may not be, right? See, the evidence of God's love for us is not the, solely about, oh, how affluent we are. It's not about how many, how, what your paycheck is. It's not about how uh, things work out for you financially in your life. There's a lot of other factors that go into that. But the blessedness that you have is the direct result of that trust that he places in us. And then he says, whoever does not have, does not have what? Faith. It's over here, right? Even what they have will be taken from them. Ooh. So is it possible that the abundance that Christians realize in life could have actually come from non-Christians? If you think in tangible ways. Ooh, that's a thought. And then throw that guy outside. Okay. All right, so this is just, again, I, I think what I'm, my interest here is in sort of presenting to us the idea that that there's a lot of benefit to that state of blessedness, and there's also a lot of threat to it. And that's the point of this arrow going back and forth, is that because we're in a sinful, broken world, and we are part of it and contribute to it, right? There's always a temptation that we could actually leave this and move back toward here, right? We could, because of the fact that it, there are times when this life over here looks pretty good, right? Do what you want. Live your own life. No obligations. Right? Don't have to honor your parents. Or not. So it just is that idea. And, and yet, the good news for us is, is that God puts people in our lives that when we find ourselves drifting this direction, He brings us back to here. Okay? Good stuff. Great discussion today. Let's uh, close with prayer. Oh, before we do that, look at the schedule now for the next uh, few weeks. Um, 
December 3rd and 10th, there's children's programs. On the 17th, the late service has a choir cantata. So we're going to do a class brunch here. And uh, Yvonne is going to take care of the uh, all the little Evite things or whatever it is that she does with that. And then on the 24th, there's no class because there's one service at 10 a.m. And then on New Year's Eve, we go back to regular worship and we will have class. Okay, sound good? All right, let's close our prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for the way that your word continues to speak to us. Help us, Lord, as we uh, uh, kind of wade our ways through the parable uh, for today, that we realize that there is so much that you have entrusted us with and that you actually uh, are showing your uh, belief in our ability to serve. And that as we serve you, we express that with great joy and great opportunity. So be with us in the coming days of this week, especially as we move into Christmas and we think about all the joy of that and all the, all the, uh, also the activity that goes with us to help us keep in mind that in it, at the end of the day, you're the master, you're the owner, and you entrust with us opportunities to serve. Be with us uh, uh, until we're together again, and we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.